few weeks ago at Boys Brigade, I got out an Ordnance Survey map and asked the juniors to find where we were. Now, despite the map being big, big, because we laid it all out, they soon found Linfield. They could look, they could see Hayward's Heath and obviously Linfield was next to it. And the fingers were quickly pointing towards a church. But the symbol that they found was a cross with a circle underneath it, indicating the presence of a spire. It wasn't us, it was all saints. With a bit of guidance, they looked again, and they were able to point to this building instead. But knowing where we are is more than finding us on a map. More than knowing that little symbol of a cross. More than seeing the road outside and being able to relate to that. It's more than knowing that that way is north and that way is south. Knowing where you are can challenge you about where you are spiritually. Where you are in your relationship with God. How far have you traveled on a journey of life and a journey of faith. This morning, as we turn to, to Mark chapter 1 and read its introduction, the verses are an arrow to the people of the first century, saying, you are here. This is the starting point. This is where you begin your journey. It's where you are with the story of God's people. And it helps us start to see why the Son of God came among us. Anyone reading the passage in the Bible would say easily that, you know, on the page before, it's Matthew. Mark has just begun. It's Mark 1, verse 1, that the reading began at. And yet, Mark, not having written anything of the gospel before this, feels the need to put in the beginning as his opening words. The beginning. It gives a distant echo of the creation story in Genesis. Of course, John's gospel gives us a much bigger prologue, something much meatier about the word becoming flesh, about there being light in the darkness. But Mark simply dangles one word, beginning, 
and allows the hearer to notice it or not, as the case may be. For many, it might simply slip by. It's just something there. He didn't know how to start his sentence, so he'd say, oh, well, I'm at the beginning. I'll write the beginning. But commentators would say there's more to it than that. He allows it to be heard, and he allows it to prick up ears for what is coming next. A declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. It's a clear statement. This is the gospel. This is the truth. This is the good news that is for you to hear. He pegs out clearly who Jesus is in the story so that from here on in, we will understand it. We will be clear. And if we are in any doubt that there was a beginning, that Jesus is the Son of God, what follows on gives more provenance. Mark feeds us with words from the Old Testament. And tells us of John the Baptist pointing the way towards the coming Lord. Each element is a marker of Mark's theological position concerning who he will write about for the next 16 chapters. Jesus the Christ. Mark is convinced. And if he wasn't, he wouldn't have written it this way. He is excited by it all. But the question I ask is where are we? Where are you? Are we excited? Are we convinced? Are we ready to grab this story and to go with it? At this time of year, the world outside our window gets excited by the thought of Christmas. But it would seem that as the celebration gets bigger and bigger each year in people's homes, that the table is spread with increasingly more. And it ceases to be a celebration of Christ. Even among many who call it Christmas, it has no longer become Christ Mass. The celebration of the Son of God coming among us. Instead of the stable, we perhaps focus in many homes, in many families, on the excess of Herod's world and seek that delight in our lives. Not the peace and goodwill that is heralded for all but a sense of our own self having the priority. Instead of remembering the selflessness of God's good gift, there is an inward reflection, not to repent, but to seek more. And it manifests itself not just in family lives, but in politics too. We see it in Trump's policies. 
in Scottish and Catalonian independence campaigns and even in the language surrounding Brexit. In all of these, there is far too much put into declaring what is best for the self rather than the love of others. And this is where the second part of the passage comes in. Mark tells us that all of Jerusalem and all of the Judean countryside have come to John the Baptist. They have come to the Jordan for a fresh encounter. Jerusalem was then, as it is now, a diverse place. A holy city. The Romans and Jewish people lived in tension with each other, one having the power and privilege, but not always using it justly. That might still be true today. John's charismatic character will be explored a bit more tonight. But there is something about the Baptist that inspires people, that moves them that makes the word come alive and convicts their hearts to repent and to make a new beginning. In worship of the Lord, people stepped forward and committed to change their life. People who knew something of God stepped forward and said something has to change. Now, we know that, as Mark says, all of Jerusalem and all of Judea came. There's a bit of exaggeration going on. Crowds came, but all? If truly all had come to the waters and repented, then Jesus would not have faced the opposition that he did. If the Sanhedrin had listened to John the Baptist declaring that there was one that was coming after him, then would they have had Jesus arrested, tried, and nailed to the cross? At the Jordan, there were people that were dripping wet, cleansed, and ready for what God was going to be doing. But I suspect that among the crowd, there were also a number who chose to stay dry, who thought they were fine? Where are you? Are you coming out of the water? Are you cleansed and refreshed? Are you ready for what is next? Or are you keeping yourself dry? The Baptist spoke and many responded. Renewed in life, they were renewed for service. And the words that we have here from Malachi and Isaiah are part of that message. A message that was just not telling us about John. About John preparing the way. He prepares the way by instructing others to prepare the way. John is the voice in the wilderness, the first verse 
of uh, the first part of verse 3, um, which actually comes from Malachi. And when that's originally given, it's more of a threat than a promise. It's saying about what's coming. But then, with the Isaiah text, it is the one that comes that's proclaiming, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's putting the words into John's mouth. That the crowd are to make the straight path. It is the people who are to prepare the way for the coming. He has come to prepare the way for those who are to prepare the way. We, God's people, are to go into the world and make the straight path to do the labor. About 12 years ago, is that right? Yeah, about 12 years ago now, um, Emmeline was doing an open university degree um, on environmental studies. And uh, one of the, the modules um, concerned road building. Uh, and it was clearly a, a multi-stage process. Under the top layer of bitumen pavement, uh, the layer that gets worn away, there was more tarmac, And then a sub-base and then a sub-grade specially prepared. Maybe even a, a foot thick of soil. And you started down at the bottom with what was there and built up. You prepared the way. And that took a lot of work. Now, of course, road building techniques have come on quite a bit in the past 2,000 years. But the construction of long, straight Roman roads through wilderness was common. And although some were made simply by trampling with lots of feet going over the same ground, pounding it down, others were constructed with gravel or even stone slabs, giving a sureness underfoot. The construction of a road away then took hard work just as it does now. It takes effort. But it's not an effort without reward. Not a task without joy in conducting it. We should be excited by the anointed one. The son of God coming to save us. And so we should worship appropriately. You sang a word that was joy. Are we always emotionally engaged in such a way that joy is in our hearts? Even in the most challenging of times, there is something to rejoice in. I wonder if our hearts leap as our hearts prepare room the Lord to come into them, or whether we just allow life to go on 
as before. We see in the Bible how people worship. And it is not stood standing still. As the Ark of the Covenant was carried into Jerusalem, David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. And he writes of dancing to God in the Psalms. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of young and old dancing with joy because of what the Lord does. The people are moved and the people respond. They have emotion in their hearts as they come to worship. And David also writes about lifting up hands in prayer in worship. In Psalm 63, I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. And in Psalm 134, which has instructions for worship, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Paul likewise, writing to Timothy, speaks of what is fit and proper in worship. We as God's people need to be open to how God moves us as we worship his holy name. We are saved by faith. We should rejoice. He has come to us and set us free. We are challenged to serve in the kingdom of our God. And we should be able to do that with gladdened hearts and a smile upon our face because of what the Lord has done. So where are you? Are you sharing your faith with your neighbor? Where are you in your worship of the Lord? Where are you as you prepare the way ahead in a wilderness that is outside us and seems to be becoming more of a wilderness day by day? Are you this Christmas telling the story of God's love and preparing the way for what might come next? Where are you? Let's take a moment to pause and to think before we move on. Lord, just as you challenged the people of the first century through John the Baptist, that a way needed to be prepared for the Lord, speak by your spirit into each of our lives that we may know how to prepare the way forward, that our own hearts might be ready to worship and serve and that we may proclaim your greatness this Christmas time. As we journey through Advent, as we go through this waiting and preparation period, may we be ready to be your people. Amen.